Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, I'm sitting down and I am chatting with ultra runner and coach uh, Brian Pacinti. Um, Brian is a person I've known about for years now. Uh, and I've actually seen at quite a few races, quite a few events. And I think we've probably chatted here and there. Uh, but I never had an opportunity to just sit down and talk with him one-on-one and kind of hear about his experiences in the ultra running world. Uh, and I have to say, uh, one of the great pleasures of doing this podcast every week is being able to have these really cool conversations and diving deep on some of these topics, you know, uh, Brian, as we'll get into in the episode, he's done, uh, Leadville a handful of times, the Leadville 100. Uh, he's taken on the Moab 240 twice now, which is impressive if you think about it. Cause that's, um, if my math is correct and it's 418 in the morning. So who knows if it is, um, that's almost 500 miles, ladies and gents, just in that one race. Uh, <laughs> and I also wanted to hear about his experience. I think we get into it at the very end, um, doing the Desert Rat stage race. That's where I first heard about Brian. Um, and I've seen him at a handful of our uh, local races um, in Colorado here. Um, but yeah, I wanted to dive into these topics. And I think it's really cool to be able to sit down and just hear stories of adventure, but also like, you know, obviously Brian gets into how doing these events has kind of changed his life and really kind of his whole journey into ultra running and the passion that he finds there and why he is drawn back to these races over and over again. Um, so it's really cool. It's a really fun conversation. Uh, the beginning, I think for the first like five minutes of it, I had messed up our, uh, microphone situation. Um, so it's a little, I don't, I think I fixed most of it. Um, but after about five minutes, it flips back to normal. So, uh, apologies for that. So let's uh, just get right into it. This is like a Bigfoot podcast number 320 with Brian Pacenti. All right, ladies and gents, I am honored to be joined outside on my patio <laughs> with Brian Pacenti today. Um, I was going to set this up in the basement. And then I walked outside and it was like 60 degrees. I'm like, dude, oh, yeah, yeah. we got to do this outside. From your windowless classroom, right? From my windowless classroom. <laughs> and so now I noticed you're wearing shorts, so we might freeze by the end of this podcast. We'll it's see. It's all good. <laughs> this is pretty warm. Welcome to the show, man. I'm excited to talk with you. I've heard about you for a long time now through the Desert Rats community. Um, even while we were out there filming, Mikey uh mm -hmm. was talking about you and we have footage of her talking about your training plans and all this stuff so yeah man welcome well thanks i appreciate it yeah dude well i want to ask you i guess you started telling me I, I was messing with audio stuff for a while but you started telling me about how you wound up in glenwood and i just i mean do you want to get into that i was sure. i thought that was interesting yeah so uh gosh 
1998, um, spring came around, and um, actually, I guess fall came around, quite honestly. It was probably uh, mid-August. Um, I was working at a kid's summer camp okay. for inner-city youth kids in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania. Wow. And um, I had a girlfriend met that summer. Um, we stayed on camp, I would call it. I guess we stayed on camp all for two weeks straight and then the kids went home and another set of kids came in so we did that a couple times that yeah. summer i was a camp cook uh, my girlfriend at the time was a counselor and um so we saved a lot of money um and bought a van um and i was like man we're, we're gonna drive this thing across the country <laughs> and so i was like let's go across the country and we and one of the girls that um another camp counselor that worked there um was going back to college at CMC Glenwood Springs, yeah. called Spring Valley. She was going back for her vet tech program. And she's like, oh, if you're driving across the country, Colorado's on the way. You should stop by and, and, and see see me there. Yeah. So we, we had a sort of destination. We were inevitably going to San Diego um, to visit some friends. Um, but we had a, a stop in the middle and we knew somebody halfway across the country, what we thought was halfway across the country. <laughs> and so we, uh, we b jumped in this van and it was probably six of us at first and we let people yeah. off in um, New Orleans. We let someone off in Dallas and, um, and then three of us wound up in Glenwood. That's amazing. Yeah. You're not the first person to tell me a story similar where it was like, hey, we just went across the country, but then we got to Colorado and we're like, this looks good. That's how 80% of the Western Slope has been established just from people <laughs> driving vans there. <laughs> That's, yeah. Just, it, it started as a colony of vans. Yeah, and then... totally. Yeah, and so um, we, we actually just passed through three weeks, um, two, three weeks, I think, we were there. Um, in that time, I did climb, climb Mount Sopris for my first time. Yeah. Um, I got to the top of Mount Sopris and lit a cigarette. <laughs> and I just, just pissed off everybody at the top and i was like what you know and i and i but i had fun i went up there and it was my first experience on mount sopris um we left town we rolled out we went to san diego did a little backpacking trip through mexico yeah and climbed um some mountains orizaba pico de orizaba's 18.6 okay Dang. so just some uh scrambling yeah. um mountaineering uh, standard hiking type of uh uh, climbing and uh, summoned Orizaba, turned around and backpacked out and um, got in a van around late September and was trying to figure out where to go next. Yeah. And uh, we decided we were going to try Glenwood for one winter yeah. season. Um, uh, a guy in a bar yeah. um, in Glenwood when I was there the first time, um, you know, you get to talking to the locals and he, you know, he's like, man, I need a framer. Yeah. I need a, a, a guy to build houses with me. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, what are the odds I'm going to show up in Glenwood and see this guy in a bar, but <laughs> sure as shit, I should have known. <laughs> but, um, he, he winds up being at the bar and he's like, Hey, you're back. So I started working with him all winter and, uh, and then the rest is history, but went through a lot of different jobs, but I've been there since 98. That's amazing, man. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. And, uh, yeah, I, I am jealous. I, I love where we are. Don't get me wrong. But that was a good area, too. Every time we go up that way yeah. and you get through Glenwood Canyon, which is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And it's just it's mind blowing. Well, where, where are you from originally? Um, I grew up in northern New Jersey okay. um, and I was born in Bogota, Colombia, South America. OK. And I moved to northern New Jersey when I was about two and a half. OK, nice. Yeah. So total difference from East Coast. 
Colorado. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were in Southern Virginia for a while. So oh, we yeah. Kinda, so you got the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah, similar yeah. a little bit, but um, that's awesome, man. So yeah, you get into. I have basically. I guess this is my outline. I have three races that I want to hear about. All right. Um, not just three specific ones, sure. but three events <laughs> that you've done multiple times. <laughs> and but then when you sat down, you told me you've climbed Mount Sopris like seventy sometimes at this point. Yeah. And so do you think you're I, I've I've done this, too, but like there's a certain type of runner or adventurer who's who does the same event uh, multiple times. Do you know what I mean? Like the like the street like they call it like streakers or whatever. Yeah. yeah so yeah, like yeah, yeah, what yeah. do you have you ever thought like what draws you to doing these things? multiple times because i'm looking i looked at your ultra sign up today like <laughs> six leadvilles a couple moab 240s mm -hmm. and then mount sobris a, a billion times <laughs> yeah um yeah i think there's a little bit um i think there is something to that i'm definitely um uh, have done multiple events um or have done events multiple times yeah and i think the reason is is that i um I get comfortable with the maybe not comfortable. I get familiar with the course, yeah. and I want to get better at that course. I yeah. think, oh, if I went back, this is what I would do different. Yeah. And then I try to to um, to make that happen, and yeah. I think that's why I go back. Also, um, I'm I'm almost feeling like I'm getting out of the realm of my kids being really little. Oh yeah. Um, but traveling was a little bit of an issue. Yeah. So Glenwood to Leadville is only about an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, Glenwood to Moab's only uh, three hours. So I was trying to stay in my sort of like four hour radius yeah. of a drive with kids. <clears throat> um, but, but now my kids are eight and eleven, so yeah, we can handle a three four hour car ride now as opposed to you know which w w sometimes it was a touch and go at 45 minutes you know <laughs> i mean you get it <laughs> i know you get it oh yeah dude we get in the car sometimes and instantly i'm like and this is gonna be the longest car ride of my like me and my buddy uh just to put it in perspective yeah. me and my friend tim uh and our friend joel we drove to the grand canyon a few years ago 12 hour drive that seemed like the easiest drive of my life because yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, we don't have to load everyone up and yeah, like, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I totally, that 100% makes sense to me. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. What is it about Mount Sopris though? Because it is a mountain on my, on my like Colorado bucket list mm -hmm. that I, I see, you see it and it looks humongous. Yeah, it's a 12,000, so but. So Sopris, uh, Mount Sopris sits at the northern end of the Elk Mountain Range. Um, it's the first one in its string, okay. I would say, or maybe the mo most significant one in this, or uh, the northern one that's the most significant. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um, but, um, and from Glenwood, it, it sits closer to Carbondale um, yeah. in the Roaring Fork Valley. Um, and in Glenwood, we have, you know, decent view uh viewing lines of it yeah um and um and i've just been kind of fascinated with it from that first time i summited it in 98 um and smoked a cigarette at the top <laughs> um i haven't smoked a cigarette ever again at the top oh, really, that's not like a yearly that's tradition. not a no no i actually gave up that habit of smoking a cigarette at the top and smoking um but um but yeah, I think I've gone 73 times. I'm almost positive it's 73. If it's not 73, it's 74. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the two. Um, I was going to check Strava. Sorry, let me try this mic thing real quick. All right, keep going. I was going to, um, I think I got 73 or 74. Um, but I, And I was going to check my Strava. But yeah. um, but it's somewhere in that number, 70-something. Yeah. Um, 
and I've just been fascinated with it ever since I went up that first time. So it sits at twelve nine five three. Okay. Um, so just shy of thirteen thousand. Yeah. So it's not really on anyone's like radar as like a fourteener yeah. or even in the thirteen realm of yeah. like the top one hundred, you know, tallest peaks in Colorado or something. It. Um, but it hikes pretty hard. It it is a full half marathon from the okay. parking lot to the summit. And oh, back. good. I was gonna ask about all these logistical things. Yeah, it's a full half marathon. Yeah. Um, like thirteen four. I mean, a little bit, a little bit heavy on a half marathon, but not much heavy. Yeah. Um, roughly in there. Yeah. Um, and from the parking lot to the summit, it's probably like fifty one hundred feet or so. See, that's the thing. It's it looks like a huge mountain mm-hmm. because you're starting so low. Like it looks sig- mm-hmm. like you're driving down the valley and you're like, dang, what is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It does have a lot of um, relief. Um, I think that's that's re- uh, reference is, oh, yeah. is the amount of um, gain from the yeah the, from town and up. Yeah. Um, and I think our whole valley has a little bit of a lure to it. I mean, I just feel like we're all really proud of Mount Soperus. Yeah. Um, I've got friends that have done it from town. Yeah. Um, running from <laughs> Carbondale to the summit. Um, I've, I've done it in different fashions. I've ridden my bike to the trailhead and yeah. then ran up and re- back down and on my bike back to the town. Yeah. Um, just to kind of, you know, mix it up. I've done it in the winter. I've done it at night. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's 70-something times. You've, was there any sketchy time? What was the sketchiest time? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Maybe not. Actually, I do have a sketchy time. Okay. (laughs) Um, And and my friend uh, Thomas that might be listening to this will attest to this. Um, (laughs) We we go up in May um, sometimes, and the snow's patchy. Mm -hmm. um, And in some of the darker shadows or just the way the the mountain undulates, you have to uh, cut corners and and go across these little snow fields and then – and just try to stay out of it. And there's yeah. this long, eventually you get to this long ridge that's really exposed. Gets a lot of sunlight. So you're on rocks and you're on actual ground instead yeah. of the snow. And, uh, but there's no trail. So you're just following the ridge up. And um, Thomas and I are, are both just walking shoulder to shoulder because there's no trail and we're telling stories. Um, but I'm also keeping us on track of where we need to go. So I'm looking ahead and I'm pointing to a tree and I'm telling him, hey, we're going to that tree. Yeah. And then we keep walking and talking and we get near the tree. I'm like, hey, we're going to that tree. And we keep walking and talking yeah. and we keep moving our way towards the, the summit of the mountain. So I picked this pine tree out of nowhere and we, we're walking towards this pine and we get about 15 feet from it. And we're, we're having a conversation just like you and I are now. Yeah. And a mountain lion, a cat no falls out of the tree. way. Hits no. the ground right in front no of us. Way. Um, like intentionally jumps out of the yeah. tree, I should say. Like in, it like falls intentionally yeah. out of the tree, not like and like graciously lands because it, it's a cat. Yeah, it, totally. <laughs> yeah, and and just darts away at a ninety degree angle from us, like like scared of us. So yeah. luckily there was two of us and yeah. we scared it. Um, and and Thomas is quick to turn around and he's like, okay, like let's go back to the car. Like I'm I'm pretty scared. Yeah. And I'm like, no. Nah, I mean, if that mountain lion wanted anything to do with us, we would we would both be running in different directions, screaming <laughs> for our lives right now. That's like, crazy. So we wound up keep I, I convinced him that we were safe and we could yeah. keep going and, and summit the mountain. But. He was like, Brian, you picked the tree with the mountain lion. Yeah. Come on, dude. Well, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, I was actually pretty relieved that Thomas was there because yeah. if he wasn't, I would have been silently going towards that tree and it might have been a different outcome. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I always think about that. They're, you know, I mean, they're all where you are and they're Jeez, here where yeah. we are. And I'm like, how often am I running? And they're just watching <laughs> me. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. 20 25 years i think i've been in glenwood since 98 and uh i've seen three mountain lions in 25 years but yeah. i always tease on like how many have seen me because it has to be hundreds it has, it to, has be. to be hundreds of eyeballs on yeah there i think i saw there. two twice or once two at the same time up on north table mountain there mm-hmm. and 
they were in the distance running away. So it wasn't like a, but I noticed the long tail. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, all right, what's the difference between bobcats and mountain lions? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, those guys have super long tails. Yeah, like totally. <laughs> yeah. that's crazy, man. Okay. Sweet. Oh, well I, I do want to hear about Leadville. So I kind of want to start there, but what got you into, um, like ultra endurance? Obviously it sounds like you guys were adventurous and outdoorsy, you know, traveling across the country with your friends, but, uh, but what got you specifically into like running? Uh, well, I, I guess I'll back up even farther. I, um, I've always been an ultra or I've always been an endurance athlete. Okay. Um, I ran track when I was in middle school Yeah. and my brother was a sprinter and, um, my dad was the track coach. Oh, no my way. older brother was a sprinter. Um, and so when I was able to run, my dad said, oh, you should be a sprinter because your brother's a sprinter. Yeah. So I suffered for a couple of years sprinting and I was, I was okay at it. I was like fourth or fifth. Sometimes yeah. I'd make a relay. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't anything special really. I, mean, I was barely on the back of the relay. Yeah. So it was like the third leg because it's the slow guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put him in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <clears throat> um, and so one, uh, this, the, the, the short story is that, um, the miler didn't show up to one of the events okay. and whether the mom got lost on the way to the school, I can't recall the yeah. scenario, but my dad was freaking out and was yeah. trying to, I was telling my mom, like, we don't have, we don't have the miler. We don't have the miler. And yeah. there I am like, Hey, raising my hand, <laughs> like throwing the white flag, like, yeah. Hey, I'll try it. I'll try it. I'll try yeah. it. And there's no, it's four laps. It's way too far. You, you, you know, like you, you're the sprinter, you, you know, you're a mediocre sprinter. We need you to be a mediocre sprinter, you know? <laughs> and so I finally convinced them it, they had no other option, quite honestly, but yeah. I kind of f- finally convinced them that we, um, that I, sh- I could sh- run the mile. It was four laps. My dad gives me this huge pep talk, you know, like go out with the group and go really slow. The first three laps, if you have anything left yeah. in the tank, you know, like drop it on the last lap. Yeah. But, yeah. but really go out super slow. And, uh, and I did pretty much exactly the opposite. I went <laughs> full bore that first lap. I mean, yeah. I just dropped the whole pack. I yeah. ran away from them. And, uh, and my dad's yelling, slow down, slow down at the, you know, at the, at the lap. And I'm like, Oh, you know, three more to go. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So the two more to go. And then finally he's just waving his hands, like, just go finish the race. And, <laughs> and, um, I always joke and say that was the last time I ever ran a sprint um, yeah. or a hundred yards. Cause yeah. I, Cause I started running distance. Yeah. Um, but so I, that was probably middle school, I want to say. So okay. I, I, um, I was a standout, like a um, standout miler, two nice. miler. I ran cross country. Um, nice. So I've always kind of been in that realm of in, um, of longer distance sports for that age group. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. I think my mom got um, some information from a doctor when I was when I was a kid, like in eighth pre high school eighth grade probably. Yeah. Um, these summers I would go to these ten k's and half marathons and. I told my mom, I want to run a marathon. And she consulted with a doctor who said it wasn't good for kids to run marathons before high school. Yeah. Whatever decade that was. (laughs) And and so, um, so I wasn't able to run a marathon, um, until much later in life, but, um, but I ran half marathons like in middle school. So it was kind of cool. So I was a distance kid, you know, so I I was, I was always a distance kid. It's impressive to me that you volunteered to run the mile because I think most having worked with middle schoolers for a while, <laughs> I think most of them look at the mile run and they're like, that's really hard. Like, I don't want to do that. So it's kind of impressive to be like, yeah, I'll do it. But yeah, that's awesome. man. what about like trail racing? Like, so I got into that, um, that led into, um, cross country, which okay. kind of, you know, got me off the pavement and into yeah. the, into the woods of yeah. North Jersey where I was raised. Um, 
And then um, I got into Ironman uh, eventually when okay. I um, triathlon and Ironman when I moved to Glenwood. Yeah. Um, and I, um, <laughs> I'd done three Ironmans and I probably did that for about probably about ten years. I want to say I did yeah. triathlons. Yeah. And my um, and a a friend at the gym. Um, I just got done with. Ironman Arizona, a 2009. It was a November event. Okay. And I mean, it was the perf- the most beautiful timing. She she said, "Hey, <laughs> I got this book for you, and I want you to read it." Yeah. And she's like, "I I read this book, and I thought of you." Yeah. And I was like, "What?" Yeah. And so she hands me this book, and it's Born to Run. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The that's my same the story iconic too. book, Born <laughs> <Yeah>. to Run. <laughs> And uh, I read the book, and it was 2009, winter of 2009, going into 2010. That's like right when it came out, I think. And it was right when it came yeah. out, and Leadville hadn't blown up yet. I still mm. mailed Leadville a check. Yeah. And got in in 2010 on my first event. Oh, so no you, wait list. No. You read it, and you're like, I'm doing Leadville. And and so I was like, Damn. and I was a little, I was getting burnt out on Iron Man. I think. Um, yeah. The crowd, the gear, the events, and I thought, well, shoot, Leadville's just up the street yeah you know and I, yeah and then, so i said let's give it that thing a whirl but i mean i make it sound easy in theory but i signed up and i was um you know full go when everyone's signing up and hitting their which is now the registration yeah, button yeah um, <laughs> yeah but i but i had some real fears that 100 miles was even doable and i couldn't i, yeah. I had to reread the book like two times because i was like not convinced that people were still running <laughs> like were running 100 miles it didn't yeah. make much sense to me i was like, yeah but I'd been doing Ironmans and I was doing that for like a 12 hour event, you know, roughly or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So I was like, like, I'll just do two of those. Yeah. Kinda. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, and so I, um, I tried my luck in 2010 and that's how I got into lit. That's amazing. Showed up for the 50 and, uh, yeah. How many people do you think that book's convinced? Cause it's the same for me. I read it. I picked it up going mm-hmm. to a wedding, like going to my buddy's wedding in Alabama. I was at the airport in Moline, Iowa. Or Illinois, sorry. Sorry, Illinois. But basically, (laughs) we're right across the river. And I saw the book there, and I was like, I like to run. Like, I did a couple half marathons and stuff. I'm like, I like to run. I'll just pick up this book. I bet it's – and I'm like, I thought it was going to be like the science of running. Mm -hmm. And I'm like a science teacher. I'm like, oh, science. (laughs) And as soon as I sat down on the plane and opened it, and the first chapter hooked me right away because I'm like, oh, this is a story with, like, interesting characters and, like, people and stuff with running – Totally in it, you yeah. know, and and then I got home and it didn't convince me to sign up for Leadville, but it convinced me to like slow down, I guess. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I slowed down on my runs a little bit, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I could do this for a long time, actually. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. So yeah. I did like a marathon, yeah. my first marathon, like two weeks later, just after school one day. <laughs> Maybe we'll see if we can get that question on the uh, registration form for Leadville. Yeah. Like, how that many, would be an interesting like, like. How many of you have read the book? <laughs> Just call it the book, book. and like, in, like, it's in quotes. Yeah, yeah. Air, air, it's in air quotes. Totally, the book. That's amazing. So, um, you've done six Leadvilles, actually, um, or is because Athlinks. Yeah. and Leadville didn't jive for a couple years. Oh, so I actually have seven. Okay. Let me get this right. I have seven Leadville finishes. Okay. Um, and two DNFs okay. at Leadville. Okay. And um, and I'm in for this coming year, 2023. So I'm towing the line for my tenth Leadville. Yeah, that's amazing. I saw you this year actually. I was at Twin Lakes, uh, 
hanging out. I wasn't even really on anyone's crew. I was just kind of hanging out, <laughs> watching people, meeting people. Like I had, it was funny. There was a lot of people I'd interviewed for the podcast there. Sure. Um, so that was cool to meet people um, in person and stuff. But I saw you come through and I was like, there's Brian Versanti. That's who Mikey talks about. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so the first one you did, did you finish that one? 2010, I finished. Actually, I finished. Okay. That's my best, fastest finish time. Really? Yeah, I want to say I was like 83rd, maybe. Okay. Uh, I was sub 24, Dang. so high 23s. Do you think that had anything to do with fear? Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I, you know what? Actually, um, if you're asking me, I think it has to do with like um, being naive. Like I didn't, oh, I didn't, I didn't, didn't know. Knew, I didn't even know. I mean, I actually knew the course and I knew where we were going and I knew what to expect moving forward, but I didn't even, it was the first time ever doing the distance. Yeah. So, and, um, and I fared really well that year in the 50 as well. Okay. Um, uh, I, I had a really, um, successful 50. And so I just went out and had a great day yeah. and enjoyed it and, um, and just nailed it. It's funny because it left me thinking, that after that event in 2010 of Leadville, I everyone would ask me about. Oh, you did 100 miles. You ran 100 miles. Yeah, anyone can run 100 miles. Yeah, I don't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> but at the time, I just thought like if if everyone just ran a little bit or enough that yeah. everyone could run 100 miles. And I think a lot of people can run 100 miles. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if everyone can. Yeah, there has to be a little bit of you that's willing to dig deep, and then a lot, <clears throat> a lot bit of you that's willing to like experience pain and kind of know this is from me. I haven't ran a hundred miles yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I said yet, which is maybe nice. a slip, but I've done a hundred K I've signed up for another one and I've done de the desert. But nothing on your calendar for the hundred. Uh, not on my calendar. No, okay. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, but I have a feeling that you have to be able to deal with, you have to be able to recognize the difference between pain and like injury. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that's probably a skill because you know that it's going to be painful mm -hmm. and you, you at this point probably know or definitely know what that feels like versus like maybe a time you're actually injured and you can't push through. I don't know. Totally. I do. And I also think there's a, there's a bit of mind play in there sometimes where your mind will. Uh, so I, my my two DNFs at Leadville, one of them, I had a sharp pain in my knee. Yeah. And, and I, I waved my weight towel. I was at the top of Hope Pass. It's, it's actually a pretty funny story. So I'm at the top of Hope Pass. <laughs> um, it's five miles to the turnaround or it's mm -hmm. five and a half miles to Back. mile 39 and a half. Yeah. Um, and, but you're in the middle of nowhere and you're right in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, uh, and I got up there and I was like, all right. So, who's in charge of this aid station? And they're like, oh, that guy over there. They point out some guy in the red shirt. So I run over to him or, or walk gingerly over <laughs> to him. And I'm like, hey, so here's the deal. I'm, I'm done and I want to give you my bib, but how do I get off of this mountain? <laughs> and he's like, wow. And he's like, just smiling. Yeah, he was waiting all day for this question. He's been waiting. Like, it's just, it's just been like, he thought of this answer months and months ago and he's just been waiting for me. And he's like, oh, you got two options. And I'm like, oh, perfect. I love the options. You know? And he says, you could go that way, pointing forward, or you could go that way, pointing backwards. Yeah. And I just shrugged my, you know, I just shook my head and walked off and I moved forward. Yeah. Um, but I had this sharp pain in my knee. Um, it was ginger, gingerly to walk on. It, yeah. it was tender. Um, it, 
going down the backside of Hope Pass, um, I thought maybe I, I might as well go forward is what I thought. Um, if I'm yeah. going to bail and I might as well go forward because if it does feel better, I'd be disappointed if I went backwards. And, and then it felt better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it, and if, it, if it did feel better and I went backwards, I'd, I'd be kind of um, shit out of luck. Yeah. So I moved forward um, and the knee never felt any better. Um, was it a debilitating injury? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Was there some mind play in there where my mind was like, oh, this is a debilitating injury. Yeah. You need to stop. You yeah. know? And I was like, I don't know. It was tender. Um, I mean, within hours, it went away. See, I know. And I I was actually, man, my friend had some smart word for it. I'm not going to use a smart word because I can't remember what he called it. But uh, I was basically saying, like, I feel sore in the winter a lot more than I do in the summer. Like, tighter, sore. And he's like, some of it might be a, somewhat in your mind where you're feeling a little bit off. And then you're putting so much thought into it that now it's become like a bigger thing in your mind. And yeah. I was like, oh. And he was like, he's like a physical ther- therapist, knows <laughs> knows what he's talking about. I don't know that big word either. But <laughs> but literally yesterday I had the same thing. Yeah. I, I was, um, before I drove down to the front range, I was the mountains and I was running on my snowshoes. Yeah. And, um, and the snowshoe strap was a little too tight and yeah. it was rubbing on my toe. Yeah. And I mean, automatically I thought, I can't get this workout done. I'm yeah. just going to have to go home and run on the treadmill. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, check out that bird. Oh, look, look at this snow. And then I started to think of six other things. Yeah. And then, like, within five minutes, I was like, oh, you know what I forgot about? Yeah. Was my toe. And so, I was like, all right, let's just do the workout. It must not be as bad. Yeah, it, it wasn't that bad. It That's was, an – you – I mean, that might not have been an intentional thing, but have you used this strategy like that in any race? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you just have to um, – we're, you want to talk about Moab as well. I do. And, and yeah. So Moab's even like Moab 240, 240 miles <laughs> yeah. on foot, all in one go, just like a hundred miler, just like your standard 100 miler, but obviously 2.4 times farther. <laughs> um, but I, I would say that um, in any event, um, I think I've figured that out. I, yeah. I, that, that, that aspect. I, I know I'll keep an eye on something, but it's um, but if as long as it's not debilitating, yeah, I'm probably gonna just keep on pushing. Well, it's a strategy of almost like taking yourself outside of yourself, you know, like all of a sudden try not to focus on your internal and mm-hmm. start focusing on the external, and it's just a little kind of like trick you can play. Totally, and a lot of people do it. Um, unfortunately, I I think a lot of people um can't get through it sometimes, and yeah. and that that's almost their dnf i mean that that they you know they got a pain in the ankle and now like all they're doing is putting all their energy and thought into the ankle yeah they're limping on it and then they're hurting their other leg because they've been limping on that bad ankle for so long that was my friend's point he's like maybe you think that you have that in your mind and you're feeling it a little bit which is probably there but then you're overcompensating because Mm -hmm. of it because you're so focused Mm -hmm. on it i'm like oh dude that's yeah, I, and I'm sure in like Moab 240 that has to. <laughs> yeah, I mean the 240 is a. I, I mean, I guess if we're yeah, let's tell me tell me the difference between the two. Like I've talked to a lot of people who have done the 200 milers, mm-hmm. um, and 100 milers. But can you kind of give me your perspective? Like, what's the difference between those two distances? <laughs> Besides the obvious. <laughs> yeah, the obvious is the distance. Um, but I would say, um, the format. I mean, I, um, the only. 100 miler that i have finished is leadville okay um, 
a couple times, obviously. But um, but Leadville's a race. You're racing the clock. You're racing yourself. Yeah. You got to keep moving. You got to keep consistent. You got to keep. You got to keep on it. You have to run sections of it. Yeah. And there's part of. Um, there's my cat. <laughs> He's walking around outside. <laughs> there's part of Moab. Um, I mean, it's definitely a race, and I want to say that yeah. you know the front front of the group really races. But I think once you get 20 people deep yeah. into the event, the rest of them are just trying to um, survive. Yeah. I want to say that um, survive, but I, I but I also think there's um, – it's pretty social. It's a slower pace. It's a um, different approach, right? Like if surviving and also just like – I don't know, almost like having like an expedition. Totally. Yeah, th- yeah, that's a probably a um, – a better way it's it's not so much a race it's yeah. um an experience yeah um and yeah you you're you've already in your mind hopefully committed to three plus days out there yeah so you're not in any rush yeah. i mean you, you just got to stay consistent yeah and so um the pace slows down a whole bunch i think you need to average 3.1 miles an hour at least at moab okay um in in the Moab format of 240 miles, yeah, and I'll, it used to be 113, 113 hours, but now I think she just moved it up to 120. Okay. They also added 12 more miles because it was actually a little short of okay. 240. Um, so this year's course is going to be a little bit um, additional yeah. um, than the previous um, iterations of it. Um, and the time um, commitments um, stretches a little farther, too. It's yeah. 120 hours. But it is definitely a slower pace. Um, but I think their similarities are that there's still like a ton of camaraderie. Yeah. Um, when you're when you hook up with a buddy and you make friends, you can stay with them for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you have the aid stations are typically at Moab at least are about twenty miles apart, roughly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's a that's, that's a, a pretty good haul. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to so you got a lot of gear on your back. You got in twenty hours. I mean, in twenty miles, it could take you you know eight eight hours yeah to move over the terrain so you gotta you know a storm could blow in night could come in yeah. morning could come so yeah. you're either peeling clothes on or peeling them off you're turning on lights or off lights you, so you gotta you gotta be prepared you have everything charged you have you're carrying more than you need yeah but just in case yeah yeah that's amazing well i i was curious about the training like i i'm sure there's a little more understanding of how to train for these things now since they've been around for a little bit um but i do think the training's probably a variety and when i was looking at uh altitude endurance coaching which is your coaching um you were talking about you know you're a busy person you have a full-time job your dad you know like how to get the amount of training you need in without you know, doing like the 80 mile, hundred mile weeks and stuff like that. Like, so with the commitment to like a 200 mile race, how do you, how do you, how did you specifically train? I would say, um, it is not 2.4 times the distance you were trading for a hundred miler. Yeah. So just to kind of clear that up right off the get go, um, I'm only adding about 10, 12% more than I would for a hundred mile training okay. plan. Um, and, and yeah, life's busy. I mean, I, I got, I was just telling you, I got two kids at home, <laughs> you know, my wife's got a nurse, so she's got a crazy schedule. Yeah. She works every third weekend. And 
So, we're, you know, we're not we're not the Monday through Friday, nine to five type of family. We, you know, we are, I'm always looking at my calendar to figure out where there's a little <laughs> gap and I could go do something. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and with that said, um, I mean, for me, what really works well is training in those odd moments and those odd moments are happen to be at 4am uh-huh. or at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I, you know, I, everyone's the lights are out in the house and I'm sneaking out the door with my headlamp on and <laughs> tell my wife to leave the back door unlocked so that I can get back in at like two in the morning <laughs> yeah. or I'm getting up at four in the morning and taking off and, yeah. until, you know, before the, for the rest of our town's day starts. Yeah. I'm running on the roads or the trails or whatever it might be just yeah. depends on the season. Um, and that usually fares well for me. Okay. Um, until the weekend comes, and then yeah. you know I got to get my Trying long runs in. And, yeah. yeah, and then so, sometimes though the the kids are home and everyone's around and it's broken up. It's it's pieces. Yeah, I'll get ten miles at four a.m. Then I got to go do a couple things with the family and the yeah. you know regular time nine a.m. or something like that. Yeah, then I'm. Uh, getting the kids on a bike and yeah. getting an extra five miles in while they're biking with me while I'm running. Yeah. And then when they were really little, I'd put them in a stroller and run them to the pool. Yeah. And run them to a playground. And oh, then, that's cool. And then run them to a different playground. So I would, I we, you know, they thought it was great. We get getting to a pool. these little like it, bits and pieces. Yeah. We, you know, and so by the end of the day, it would add up. I'd be like twenty miles, yeah. <laughs> twenty twenty five miles in on the weekend on a Saturday. Yeah. And I. And I kind of just like pieced it in there. It wasn't it wasn't a full twenty five miles in a row, and and yeah, coaching and training would say that twenty five miles um, in one shot is probably better training than throughout the whole day spaced out. And, and we talk about two a days, but this is probably my scenario is probably like a five a day, yeah. four a day. You know, I'm like breaking it up as much as I can or as much as I need to. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is, you know, yeah. it's, it's training regardless. Yeah. yeah. And you got to be flexible. And I think like hearing about just when you're talking about the aid stations being so far apart, being flexible is such an important skill to have mm-hmm. with that. And the tr- that in a weird way is training you for that too. Mm-hmm. Like to be flexible and be okay. Probably like not get frustrated if, you know, something came up and you weren't able to get mm-hmm. the miles in you wanted or whatever. Um, so how like, if someone was to train for like Moab 240, mm-hmm. what would you say should be your kind of like longest effort going into that thing? At least from your perspective. Um, I mean, I think for Moab, knowing that it's overnight and you're going to have just a ton of dark, to- yeah. like dark hours that you're moving forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, I guess if I'm coaching someone, I, I would say, Chris, yeah. let's look at your calendar. Yeah. It's January uh, 10th or 15th or yeah. something like that right now. Yeah. And you want to race in October. Let's look at August. Okay. Could you carve away one weekend in August mm-hmm. and go do a two-night backpacking trip? Yeah. And just kind of walk through the woods for a really long time yeah. and, and carry most of the gear you need? Yeah. And maybe it's just a 10-mile loop and you get back to your car and then go do it again the next day. But whatever yeah. it is, but I, I feel like you just need to plan ahead. Um, yeah. so it's probably more like time-based, like just get out for the weekend and, yeah. and go do something. Um, but you should be looking at those things now yeah. for August for an October race. That makes sense to me. And are you, do you recommend the like back to back efforts, you know, like long runs day, like back to back kind of building up to it, I guess. 
Yeah, we do. Um, typically, we do long runs on weekends for yeah. the majority of people that work a nine to five or that um, structure yeah. of a life. Yeah. Um, and have the weekends off. So Saturday we do a long run, and Sunday we back it off a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. And it just adds to um, it adds to the stress of the body, and it, and it helps with adaptations in. Because you're running on tired legs. Yeah, you're running you on tired legs. you want to get legs. used to that. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense yeah. to me. How did it go for you, though? Like, So, first of all, what made you want to sign up for, for that race specifically? Uh, Moab. Um, Moab sweet. Yeah, I mean, Moab is <laughs> Moab. Is Moab and, yeah. um, and I have um, a similar fascination with Moab, um, the same or similar to um, my fascination with Mount Sopris. Mm. Um, I just love the terrain, and it's just different, and it's unique. Um, it's endlessly different. Yeah. Like, even if you're doing the same trail, it's going to change so mm -hmm. quickly, like over a year. Like, it's awesome. That's what, and yeah. you can go 10 or you can go like five miles in a different direction. And it looks totally different. Yeah. It's and awesome. I mean, the landscape is, is what it is. Um, the weather is pretty temp, um, yeah. temperamental. It's pretty nice. It gets hot in the summer, but you know, whatever, if you, if you could deal with the heat, then yeah. you're good. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say, and also as much as I like Moab, um, every time I go there, it seems like I find another little spot I haven't seen before. That's, and and yeah. that was the exact same thing at Moab 240. Um, I had seen corners of Moab I hadn't seen before, yeah, and I, was, and I was pretty impressed. That's cool. Yeah, that's so cool. So that made you kind of want to, like, get into it. Yeah, totally. It's it's out of the 200s at the time. It was also the one closest to my house, mm, close yeah. to travel, all those things. So it, it fit my criteria. Yeah. Um, and and Moab's an awesome town, so. When you look at it and you're like, it's closer to my house. This is how I look at it. I'm like, it's closer to my house. There's that extra 40 miles. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. that's significant. That's a significant thing. I don't know. Again, just like the the kid that volunteered for the mile. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked at it the other way around. I was like, and oh, an extra. Sweet. I was excited. Yeah. Like, and an extra right. 40 miles. No, I like that. It's not just 200. Yeah, dude. You got the positive reframing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it. So, um, like getting there, I just wrote down a couple words for me, but, um, when did you first have to start digging deep in that race? Like how far into it until you have to first start really I mean, I could only facing some demons. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I, I think I can, um, I, I did it in 2010 or I'm sorry, 2020 yeah. uh, for the first time. And I did it just this year in 2022 for my second time. Yeah. Um, and two totally different experiences. Okay. Um, in 2020, um, and I came in with a ton of fitness. Yeah. Um, we were all locked down. I had nothing else to do. Yeah. I was just running my butt off, you know, <laughs> and I was just training all night long. Yeah. And uh, I, w I, w I was really committed to the overnight run. Yeah. I would leave the house at 10 o'clock at night and go run a full marathon, come in at 2, 3 in the morning. And uh, there was nothing to do. I had nothing really to wake up for. I mean, I <laughs> sort of woke up, but I mean, like, you know, of yeah. course, we're on lockdown and the world was shut down. So, um, so it was just easy to run. So I came in with a ton of fitness. Um, and, and I think going into the event, um, I had to make a commitment in the summer that we were actually going to have it. Yeah. Because I was thinking, like, what am I doing this? What am I doing this training for? Yeah. We might not even have this event. Yeah. And so I had to like get out of that mindset right off the get go. I yeah. was like, all right, that's all on Candace to do and pull off. Yeah. What I need you to can't do control that. I need to do my work. Yeah. And show up. If we have this event, I need to show up ready for it. So I showed up super ready. I felt like I was really prepared for it. Um, 
but I wasn't mentally prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never experienced it before. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question about digging deep, I would say day one really? of Moab was, and, and it's, <laughs> it's totally discouraging because you have so far to go. Yeah. And I'm at mile 50. Yeah. And I'm digging deep and I'm like, I have 190 to go. Yeah. You know? It was hot. It was dry. Yeah. I mean, it was like hot. Yeah. Like, like cooking hot. People were dropping hot. Like, because of that. I mean, that. I mean, that's the thing that's gonna dig into your mind is there's a there's we're not even we're not even like a quarter of the way through this. Yeah. So we were going to, gosh, it was called um, Breaking Bad Aid Station. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a an old. Um, fire ridden camper out in the middle of no Amazing. man's land and uh, and somehow it it doesn't go by that name anymore um, and the 8th station moved a little bit but in any case um, oh no the 8th station still in the lo- same location either yeah. way um, going into Breaking Bad 8th station it was probably 55 or 60 right yeah. in there uh, miles on day one yeah. first I mean first 50 miles in and um, the afternoon sun was cooking us, and the stretch was a little far. I want to say I'm, I'm totally shooting from the hip here. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I want to say it's like 22 or 24 miles. Okay. So a little stretch from the 20. Yeah. Um, but no, but it was all it was all pre-planned. So we were we were told to prepare for it. So yeah. it wasn't uh, it wasn't like um, a mess up or a foul yeah. up by any part. Yeah. It, but but it happened to be really hot and. A lot of people ran out of water in that section, and uh, and as soon as it got hot, I, I made a conscious decision um, to just walk. Yeah, I, I'm gonna just hike as efficiently as possible, but I'm not running. And I let just a ton of people pass me. Yeah, um, and I was like, gosh, I I probably need to run with these people, but I was like, no, Smart. stay in your game, <laughs> like stay yeah. in the game, and, and just and I sip my water. I showed up to the aid station with half a bottle of water, um, but most people had ran out four miles, three miles, Uh-oh. two miles, maybe five miles away. Sounds rough. And uh, and it was just you were and we were like on this west facing rock with a east wall behind us, so it just radiated like the <laughs> afternoon sun. Yeah, like you know, there was no hiding, there was no shade yeah. to hide. I mean, there was literally. If you've if you've been there, you'll know. But um, but otherwise, there's nowhere to hide, and so you're just getting cooked all into the evening hours. And then I thought I'd roll into the aid station, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm like I'm a little tired. I'm obviously thirsty. I'm gonna load up on water, eat some yeah. food, and I'm like, I'm gonna grab a cot and just take a little, to take a little rest, yeah, and and, and kind of regroup. Yeah. And I got to this aid station, and it was full carnage. I mean, it. I mean, every cot was taken, every chair was taken. I had to sit on a cooler for like fifteen minutes. Oh, no way. Yeah, because they had no more chairs. It was like full like, everyone trauma. Was, everyone yeah. got there, but everyone needs to rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all spent, and I was like, oh well, I'm in a better spot than most of these guys. Yeah. So I, I did my thing. I ate my food. I was probably out of there in twenty five minutes. I ate nice. some food, loaded up, reloaded. And I just figured I'd just keep that same consistent pace yeah. uh, throughout. But that would be the first time I dug deep um, yeah. at Moab. What does it feel like when you're like three days in and now you're digging deep? You know what I mean? Like, I do. I, it's totally different. Um, is it more hopeful? It's totally more hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, 
for me, I can dig deep later into the race mm. with the idea that, you know, the yeah. I could smell the barn. Yeah. It's hard to dig deep when you, when you haven't even, you know, you can't even see, <laughs> you know, you still can see the starting line, never mind the finish line. You can't you, see the city yeah. the barn's in. Yeah. You, you don't <laughs> even know what neighborhood that barn is in yet. You, you haven't even, you haven't even made the turn to go back to town yet. Yeah. You're still going out away oh, from town. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I think it's harder to dig deep early. Yeah. Um, and and everyone at that aid station that finished or didn't finish that year um, had to dig really deep to get to that aid station. Yeah. Um, in 2020, that was wow. that was a rough stretch for everyone. That's rough. Well, um, what about? Can you speak to like the consistency in not just your pace, not just like your physical actions, but like your brain consistency, like. I don't know how you feel, but like when I'm on, when I'm in race mode, I can, I'm in like a certain different mindset. And for the most part during a race, I can stay pretty level, you know? Um, but I've only, like I said, I haven't done a hundred miles. I did. I think I can't remember how long the hundred K took me, but you know, that's not a 24 hour thing. Mm -hmm. But then when you're doing Moab and it's days and days, like, do you stay in that consistent mindset the whole time? Or is there peaks and valleys in like, the way you're approaching that moment, I guess. Um, I, I would have two different answers for the two different years that I did it. Okay. Um, yeah. In 2020, that first year, I was the new guy. I was the rookie. It was unknown territory. Yeah. And I wasn't even in race mode. I was, I was like for real in like, I'm just going to finish this. Yeah. I just, you know, like I'm going to be, you know, like everyone says, I'm going to be one and done. Like I probably won't come back. I, this is just a fluke. I'm just going to do this once and yeah. move on. Yeah. Do something different. Um, and so there was no race mode. Um, okay. In 2020, I, um, I, you know, I wasn't even looking at where I was in the group or, yeah. the, you know, I wasn't like checking my watch. I was making sure I was okay on, on the cutoffs behind me. Yeah. Um, and it, it just knowing where I was, I was, I was okay on that. Um, and so that was really the only thing I looked at. Um, but in 2022, this previous year, um, or this, just this last iteration of it. Yeah. Um, I was definitely in race mode and I did, um, do exactly what you said. I stayed like solid yeah. and consistent. Um, the whole time, the, darn near the whole time, yeah. even in my low point, yeah. I was still an hour faster than I had done it in 2020, that same section. Okay. In 2020. Okay. Um, it was through the LaSalle's mm -hmm. uh, mountains. Um, and I was actually having a low point, obviously just getting tired. We're over, a, you know, over 100 miles, over almost 200 miles at that yeah. point, <laughs> roughly um, right in that neighborhood, like 180 or so. Um, and having a bad just feeling the effects of cumulative mileage yeah um and um my pacer my pacer mark uh like almost reassuring me he's like you're going faster than you were in 2020 yeah so i'm like oh you know like so i'm bringing it back to like oh i'm actually moving way better than i was in 2020 and this is my low moment so yeah in 2020 i felt like that was a section i i, I fared pretty well at okay and I, and I worked really hard to get through yeah that was one of my higher moments so yeah comparably i was like pretty good i was like yeah this section took me i want to say it took like 16 hours and i did 15 or okay I, i'm making up numbers but yeah. whatever it was yeah it was either 18 and 17 it yeah. was 17 but yeah Dang. whatever it was mark knew what the number was and he knew that we okay. were going to be better than that nice are you um 
Are you a proponent of the dirt nap? My friend Thomas is a big <laughs> proponent of the dirt nap in a 200 miler. So I, um, I did one dirt nap in 2020 okay. <laughs> in 2020. Yeah. I did one dirt nap. Um, and I did, um, stagger around like, like a drunk guy, um, for lots of miles in 2020. Yeah. Um, in 2022, I, th- I think I learned my lesson. Um, I have nothing against sleeping in the dirt. Yeah. Um, but I did a lot of it in Moab. Um, you did this year. So you did, um, did you, by that you mean you went to like the sleep stations or out on the trail? No, full on dirt nap. In the yeah. Di- like just instead of staggering around, um, oh, and being inefficient, taking a second, I would say yeah. if I lay down for 10 minutes, I could probably run for 45 minutes and make up what I'm just going to stagger yeah. for 45 minutes easily. That makes sense. And, and then feel much better. So I laid down quite a bit, um, under trees in the daytime yeah. at night. I never broke out it. This year wasn't that um, cold at night, yeah. Um, so I never broke out the space bag or anything, yeah. but just laying down and, you know, like, and it was really spontaneous, like, just be like, trying to move efficiently and then like see a big pine tree with some shade, and you're like, that's the tree, that's the tree. We're I gonna, hope there's not gonna, a mountain lion. We're gonna in take it. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, hope there's no mountain lion in it. <laughs> no, we're gonna take 15 minutes to lay down. You know, that's cool. Yeah. No, I I think my f- my friend Thomas he talks about um, one the sleep stations there's a lot of people in there so if you're not used to just falling asleep with other people around like if that's going to bother you then you're kind of being inefficient because you might just be laying there for 20 minutes um so when you're out on the trail by yourself like it's gonna be super quiet and not active uh but he also said like it prevented him from sleeping too long he's basically like i would sleep until my body was like wake up and he said it was never as long as you'd think it would be in one of those races Mm -hmm. But how did you handle the sleep, like, deprivation? You know, I fare pretty well. Do you? Um, I keep uh, – I've had very slight um, hallucinations okay. in these longer events, even at Leadville, um, just from being up tired. for a yeah. long time and tired and, and being exhausted. Um, and I'm not really, like, the hallucinator. I don't have, like, crazy hallucination stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty level-headed, and my crew – will attest to that as well they 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 were just like man you just kept like such a yeah. clean head and you know yeah we're two days in and they're like what are you seeing right now and i'm like i'm seeing the same thing you're seeing like i'm like there's nothing different going on in my head like let's just keep moving you know like, so i i think i do well with the sleep deprivation um my crew this year did kind of uh we took longer duration naps at the aid stations than we had in the past we were doing 45 minutes last okay the, in 2020 and this year we we were going for about an hour and then at one of them they let um the one of the last few we were going to do an hour and a half yeah and i wanted to get out before sunrise yeah and when they woke me up the sun was rising yeah and they came clean and told me they let me sleep for two <laughs> hours instead of the hour and a half yeah and i was at the moment, I was a little annoyed. I didn't. <laughs> luckily, I didn't like chew anyone out. Or yeah. Yell, you can't really yell at volunteers. Yeah. Right? And um, I mean, you can't fire volunteers, right? So I was. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, you know, whatever it is, what it is. I just got to keep moving. But um, but I had a super strong finish yeah. um this year, and I, in hindsight, I think it was because I had that extra thirty minutes. <laughs> so so they you, get a lot of credit and props for that. Yeah, your crew was like, 
yeah, they're like nodding at each other behind <laughs> as you're rocking away. They're like, we, we'll, he'll be yeah. fine. He'll get it. Yeah. Um, they said I was snoring so loud. <laughs> they, no one had the heart to wake me up. <laughs> what, uh, what does like, once you do Moab and such a huge event, and I'm sure it's on your mind for months leading up to it, was the letdown kind of feel like for you? Like, are you able to push on to the next event do you take time to process it i don't know do you kind of fall in a funk at all or yeah i mean i think there's a little uh post-race uh depression yeah. of sorts um the event's over um you know i mean i've, I've put so much into it um mm-hmm. and it's rewarding and you know i have i earned a buckle yeah and i have my little posters to look at yeah and, you know all yeah. of the swag um and t-shirts and sweatshirts to wear but um, but definitely you miss the camaraderie, you miss the training structure. Yeah. Um, but, but I also know, I guess the, the, um, as a reasonable person, I know that I need to back off and not train and yeah. not work because for me, I can't run a whole season like straight through. I need, I, I need to, either. I need to do a recovery. So I took two months off from okay. structured training I wore a watch just to put it on Strava, yeah. but I wasn't, it yeah. wasn't like on a training calendar or anything. If I felt like if I had some time and I felt like going for a run, I did. Yeah. Um, I enjoy the bike. So I was able to jump on my bike and yeah. go, you know, quick for a little road ride and, yeah. and hit, hit some mountains in my Valley. And that's cool. Um, and kind of like unstructured, you know, fun basically yeah. and make it fun again. I always look at it almost like s- seasons where it's like, if I'm in the season where running to me needs to be about just going out and doing it, doing it and exploring mm-hmm. and really not, it's not structured training. It's more unstructured mm-hmm. versus like, as soon as I signed up for my next race this April, I was like, Oh, as like literally as I hit the button, I'm like, okay, I need to start eating in a different way <laughs> and like figuring out runs and all that. But uh, yeah, I think it's important to have both though. Definitely. Like it's a good yeah. balance for sure. For me, it is. It seems like on uh, a majority of the athletes, there are. Um, I think maybe that front of the pack is a, a different breed, and maybe they, yeah, they keep pushing throughout the year, yeah. or they, um, they have a little more structure in their in their. I I did say that um, that my unstructured training is fun, and and I don't want to come across as saying like the structured training isn't fun. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I guess I just want to. Uh, it's a different way. It's a yeah. Different, yeah, it's a yeah. different form of fun, I think, because mm-hmm. I'll do the same thing. But it's more—I don't know—it's just the unstructuredness gives you a little bit different types of freedom, I'd say. You know, um, it reminds me of being a kid, I guess. Yeah, and the fact that like when I got home from school, I'd either you know <laughs> get on my skateboard and ride down the street, or yeah. jump on my bike and ride down the street. Either way, I was going to ride down the street, but I got to choose the mode, and it yeah. was very organic, and it was spur of the moment. And I feel like that's the unstructured part. That, that is. And maybe the street is super long that day and maybe it's <laughs> short, but you get to decide it. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, the I, difference yeah, for totally. sure. Um, one last thing about Moab. We talked about all the valleys and stuff, but for you, what were the, what were the peaks in both of those years to you? Like what were these like high moments that kind of stood out? Big um, or small? Like, yeah. And so 2020, I had this huge uh, meltdown. Um, <laughs> with with uh, my pacer Leanne, um, it's going towards Wind Whistle Aid Station, and there's just this endless dirt road, endless. It, yeah, it must be 18 miles or something like that. I'm not quite sure. 
but it feels it, it could be 180. I mean, it, it's, it's just as much what it feels like. Um, and I really felt like I couldn't go on any farther. Um, and it was in this. I feel fortunate because it was in a spot where crew wasn't allowed, and it would have been super hard to get out of. Yeah. So I had to move forward. Yeah. But I laid down in the road, literally laid down on the pavement. And my pacer, Leanne, <clears throat> had to stand over me with her trekking poles, kind of yeah. waving them like little wands so cars would know that there was a person laying uh. in the road. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, in my mind, um, in my mind, I, and even after the event, I actually thought it was like, like I laid there for like 45 minutes or something, like just laid there. Yeah. Staring up into space, contemplating my life, my good choices, my bad choices, yeah. all of it. You know, Why I am like, I here in this road? Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, it's just spinning out of control. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Like, it's the hardest spot to get yeah. someone to come pick me up at or legally to come and pick me up at. Yeah. Um, so I got to move forward. Um, but in reality, um, I looked at the race tracker and then, and then I asked Leanne herself. And they both match up that it was only eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how dark of a moment it was. You know, like I had to like peel myself off the ground. I had to walk a, ha- a mile and a half to the aid station down the road. It's all that's all I needed more to get there. Yeah. Um, but I think it it might have taken us near two hours. Yeah. Dang. And it was just a flat, fairly flat, rolling paved road. I mean, yeah. it was nothing technical, just completely spent and exhausted. But um to answer your question, I got to that aid station and I recall uh, Candace, the race director, saying that you should eat a ton of food and get some sleep before you ever decide to DNF an event. This event. Yeah. She's talking about that one specifically or her 200s. So I thought, well, shoot, I got no way out of here. And these yeah. aid station people are going to be here a long time. So if I am getting a ride out, it's going to be a while. So I might as well eat. So I ate, I don't know, grilled cheese, gumbo. I mean, I ate like six different <laughs> meals. I felt like. And I put a big horse blanket on me, and I fell asleep. 20, 30 minutes, I woke up, I ate more food. And then Leanne's kind of looking at me like, are we going to get going? Yeah. Or, you know, how's this going to work? And so I reluctantly got up and started moving forward. And then we started talking. Yeah. And we started having a conversation that had nothing to do with how bad I hurt. Yeah. To go back to the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. And then she said, hey, did you build a playlist for this <laughs> Like, how do you build a playlist for four days? Yeah. And I'm like, I do have a playlist. <laughs> and it's not four days worth, but it's like 16 hours worth of music. Yeah. And I haven't even touched it. Yeah. So we put on my playlist and we play it on my phone upside down and my speaker blowing out and um, and just listening to it. And we start moving. Yeah. We start walking. We're doing now like a 17 minute, you know, pretty yeah. decent hike, you know. Yeah. And then we're trotting at 15 minute miles and then we're we're like running like 11 minute miles or something like that like within an hour from that aid station and we are singing songs now (laughs) and the sun's going down and so i guess the high point um one of the more memorable high points of moab was how low just prior to the high yeah was and so that that covering that gap from being so deflated laying in the road yeah and not being able to move forward yeah. Or thinking I can't move forward um, to within two hours at, at a max two hours later. That's amazing. Um, I was we were running that 11 mile um, minute mile and singing songs and 
high-fiving and telling stories about concerts we went to yeah. and then all the pain in my body kind of dissipated yeah. and and in that moment i realized even though i still had like another 80 miles to go i was like there's not much that's not gonna let me finish this at this point yeah i'm gonna get it done that's amazing i think that is the kind of story that makes like i think if people haven't done like an ultra endurance event um to me that's the kind of story that's like really inspirational because it shows like you need those valleys you need to go through those dark times to like find those peaks and and sometimes the peaks are just like a new appreciation for something that is common in our everyday world where it's like music's a common thing but you hear music when you're that tired and that destroyed and it picks you up and you realize like the power of it Mm -hmm. like i think dude that's like that got me fired up. I'm good, ready, good. Yeah. I'm ready to go out and run. That was awesome. <laughs> that was a, um, a great one. Um, I can't think of one for 2022 yeah. off the top of my head. Um, well, I got to ask you. I know I we probably should wrap this up in like five minutes or so, but I have to ask you about Desert Rats. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You ran it 2017. Mm-hmm. I ran it 2018. I'll hear my kids real quick. What's up, guys? Oh, thank you. What is this? Oh, wow. A melted cookie. <laughs> okay, I'll eat it after this. Thank you. Can you close the door? Just a melted peanut butter cookie. Thanks. Nice. I mean, dude, you give that to someone <laughs> in Moab? Like, they'll eat it. Oh, yeah. They're going to give you a 10-star rating right there. Yeah. I have a theory. So, you ran it in 2017. I ran it in 2018 and 2019. I My theory is, and you mentioned it kind of earlier uh, before we started, you always hear about the previous years and a lot of it when it's that close 2017 2018 like one year later you're hearing about it because people come back it's a Mm -hmm. race where a lot of people come back and do it again because it's a great experience um so we heard some tales from 2017 okay (laughs) just some tales of like how hot it was uh you know all of that i don't know but uh yeah can you just give us like a quick like what was uh, your favorite part of that race? And what did you just think in general about the experience? Like, it's a different thing. It's a different event being a stage race. Yeah, totally. And it was my first stage race, um, running stage race. Uh, probably my first stage race. I don't think I've done a bike stage race either. Okay. But, um, in any case, um, I think the, the best part of it for me was the time that we didn't spend running. Yeah. I think it was the time around the camp. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a campfire because it was still like 95 degrees <laughs> or something. Um, but but just hanging out and enjoying other people's company. Um, we're out in, you know, a hot, sandy desert um, with no uh, self-service. Like, no one's connected to anything. We're not yeah. – we're, we don't have any distractions. We're, we're you know, we're literally sitting around like a, a flashlight and telling stories – you know, and, and you're learning, like, because you have not, you, there's no other distractions to, like, not hear someone's story. You know, yeah. you're not like, oh, I'm just going to go jump on my laptop. And the entertainment is the digging into other people's stories. Totally. Yeah. And I found that so fascinating. And I was always, like, I'm always inspired by anyone who's out there doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think with, like, 100 milers, the, the things where it's a it's one and done event you're seeing someone you might talk with them for a few hours, but then you might not be seeing them again. I always found like with the stage race, the, the camp part, you get to hear everyone's stories throughout the day, but then you hear their stories about their lives too. 
and you get to do that day after day. And I always thought that was like a cool relationship builder. Yeah, totally. And so I don't run with 35 people and get to hear all their stories, but yeah, but when we're not running, we got to sit around with 35 plus people and hear all their stories. Yeah. Um, the other one was, um, chef Brian. Um, <laughs> he, he always kept us fat and happy, you know? Oh, he's the best. Yeah. You're so. just eating like uh, just chicken Parmesan or something fancy <laughs> just with your hands out of a cup. It's the best, but awesome, man. Well, Hey, uh, where can people kind of follow your further adventures or, you know, you do altitude endurance coaching. Where can people kind of like reach out to connect with you during, uh, through that? Sure. I have a website for that. Um, altitude endurance coaching.com. I'll link it too. Um, pretty simple. Yeah. Um, and then most everything is under my name, Brian yeah. Pacenti, P A S S E N T I like Facebook and Strava and all that kind of stuff. And I think, um, Instagram would be, um, Pacenti on the run. Okay. So, um, so it's just a play on Pacenti cause there's not a Brian Pacini out there, but, yeah. um, <laughs> but I put a play on it. So. What, what, uh, what things do you have coming up? You mentioned Leadville. Do you have anything else on the schedule? I do. So I created a quasi my own creation nice. of a play on the Rocky mountain slam. Okay. So Rocky mountain, um, Rocky mountain slam would be four 100s in the same season. Okay. And that's from the grand slam of ultra running. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rocky mountain slam would be four. Rocky Mountain 100s yeah. in the same season. Um, my four don't qualify for that. Um, I didn't even inquire about it, but just yeah. looking at their calendar, I didn't do um, some of the Utah ones that they have on their list, but um, I'll be in um, Wyoming for Big Horn. Yep. Uh, okay. Big Horn in June. Um, so I have four 100 milers, five weeks apart, basically, <laughs> from each other. So. Bighorn in June, um, Uray in July, Uray 100, okay. which is a beast. It looks like a beast. Um, I've heard it's a beast. I did the 50 <laughs> in 21 yeah. in 19 hours. <laughs> so if you could imagine doubling that, it's going to be a long day Yeah, or a yeah. long couple days. Yeah, um, But I'm used to the long, yeah. long days, right? So then Uray in July, Leadville in August, yeah. and then Run Rabbit Run okay. in September. Sweet. So I just got them stacked up right to each other, and it's a redemption year. So um, Leadville's not a redemption. I have two DNFs and seven finishes, but I'm going for 10-year buckle. Yeah. Um, so I just want to keep that trend going Yeah. or um, keep chopping at that um, process. Um, Bighorn, I DNF'd in, I want to say, 2012 or 2013. Okay. Um, super early, 30 miles, 35 miles in. Yeah. Um, just a just a heck of a day yeah. uh tripped and fell slammed my face into the ground Ugh. i had an avocado in my hand at the time and i had avocado <laughs> just smeared all over me and then the dirt that i landed in stuck to, stuck the, to avocado. the avocado yeah. <laughs> they're like that you come to the ace like we got another avocado injury i don't know <laughs> Call the radio. Uh, yeah, and so that's a redemption for okay. that one. I got to go back and finish it. So I'm, I think I feel like I'm this year's like a cleaning up of loose ends. Okay. Um, Uray in 21, I did do the 50 in 21, but three weeks before the event, okay. I backed out of the hundred and bumped down to the 50. Okay. Um, I was dealing with planner that year. Yeah. Um, and I and so I was successful in finishing it in the 50, um, which is still a huge event. Um, but I didn't think, and yeah. it was a good call. I didn't think a hundred was in my cards that year. Yeah. 
Um, Leadville's just on the calendar because I'm chopping at that. And then Steamboat, I DNF'd um, Run Rabbit Run in 2017. Okay. And, and I can't recall why. You know, it's another one of those mental struggles, those mm. games. Um, I was spent. I had some knee pain, um, exhausted, yeah. um, burnout. I got a little cooked on that back loop. Yeah. It was really dry and dusty. And I came into the aid station. I told my crew I was done. And they didn't really put up a struggle. Like, <laughs> we all just got in the car and left. And I was like, let's go get burgers in town. And on the way into the restaurant, it's funny because my wife called me out, like full on mm. called me out. On the walk into the restaurant, she's like, hey. And I'm telling a story. Da, 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 da. I'm already laughing and joking. This is yeah, within an hour and a half of yeah. DNF in the event. And my wife's like, hey. And I, I'm like, look over my shoulder. I'm like, what? And she's like, you don't have a limp anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good call out, you know? Yeah. Well, so, it, it, it goes back to the, you know, the beginning of the conversation about the mental uh, block. Th- that mental block yeah. and that, uh, that struggle. And I was like, I don't, but let's go get that burger. Let's get that <laughs> burger. Uh, talk to me about that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's amazing, man. Well, will you do, is there any way you'd come back on the show after you do all those events? Like, I want to hear about how that summer goes. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're scaring me a little bit, but yeah. Oh, why? <laughs> well, I mean, like like it's I mean it's a big summer. Don't get me wrong. I, um, yeah, I definitely come back for sure. I guess after that awesome summer. Yeah, y'all say that. There yeah, after go. that super awesome summer, twist, twist you're it just up. gonna have there. like a beautiful time. There you go. <laughs> awesome, yeah. man. Well, Brian, thanks for coming on, dude. And I, like I said, I really want to talk to you again at some point. Sounds great. I appreciate your time, Chris. All right. All right, that wraps up this week's Like a Bigfoot podcast. Uh, Huge thanks to Brian for coming on the show. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for listening and supporting our show Um, for years now. uh, It's been really an honor to make these episodes. And yeah, I I just kind of look back sometimes. I'm like, man, look at all the amazing human beings you've been lucky enough to sit down and chat with and uh it just makes me extremely grateful uh for kind of the community that uh we've built on the show and really kind of engaged with uh on the show so thank you all for listening um to that episode uh yesterday was my birthday uh and i'm now 36 years old um and i have to say like it was just i don't know i don't know it is it i at times like i feel very uncomfortable like i don't want like (laughs) like the attention on me and stuff uh for example when i walked into one of my classes yesterday and i looked around and i was like this is suspicious and then they counted down and started singing happy birthday um it's definitely like always makes me a little bit embarrassed, but, uh, but I did truly feel kind of the love and the, and all of that. And I'd like neighbors rolling down their windows when I was driving by them, uh, waving and saying happy birthday and things. So man, it was, it was a great day. And I've, I felt, uh, very much loved yesterday, which was amazing. Um, and and for year 36, uh, I have s- 
some big plans coming up, some big plans in the works. Uh, I'm very excited to uh, take on some new adventures this year, some new kind of projects, some new uh, goals. And uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to jumping on here, sharing them with you guys and hopefully being able to keep the ball rolling. Uh, I have some uh, strange ideas for some episodes coming up. Uh, that'll be a little bit outside the norm. So uh, I'm excited about that. I know it'll take a little more work than um, than I probably even expect. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be really cool. So um, looking forward to that. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what year 36 brings. Uh, as for this episode, um, I'm hoping Brian is at the trail running festival where I'm doing the hundred K and he can see me. Like if he's working an aid station, it'll just be one of those moments where even if I'm tired and beat up, it'll be fun to see somebody I know at an aid station. Or if he's out on the trail, It'll be fun seeing someone I know passing me while I'm like crying and uh, stumbling my way through the desert. So, so yeah, so that should be fun. And uh, I'm sure we'll have stories from that in April. So uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, we'll get back at you next week.